Over the course of almost 30 years in ministry, I've done a lot of premier half. Uh, you endured it, and I appreciate it. But I think it's very helpful. I, I describe premarriage counseling as basically just telling you uh, where not to step, you know, where, there, where the mines are buried to try to avoid those things blowing up on you. And that's a lot of what premarriage counseling is. I've also done some marriage counseling, not as many as premarriage, but uh, very often couples would come in and they're struggling with issues. They want to have an opportunity to sit down and share things. Well, one of the major issues, whether we're talking getting ready for marriage, being in marriage, or <laughs> because you're on the other side of a marriage that didn't work well, one of the major issues that you see coming up time and time and time again is the issue of communication. That is, we're just we're not we're not communicating. I, I'm speaking, the other person's not hearing. They're speaking, I'm not hearing. We 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 just we're not we're not communicating, and that that is a big issue. Certainly, it's important for all of us. And I, I typically will share uh, this verse that we're going to see shortly out of uh, out of James James one nineteen, which tells us to be quick to to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow. Slow to anger. Well, that's great advice, isn't it? I mean, James is often considered a book of practical wisdom. This is about, about as good a practical wisdom as we could get. How many of your marriages would be better if you were quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry? Uh, I know mine would. Nancy, you need to listen to this. Actually, I just messed up the whole thing. Sorry. But this, this sounds really simple, doesn't it? There are times it, when you're trying to converse, listen, actually hear what the other person's saying. Don't, don't, here's what we do. We listen in order to respond, right? We're, we're listening, and while we're doing that, it's, you know, it's like these shoot-em-up movies. We're, we're hiding behind uh, something, and we're reloading. We're ready for our turn to, to unload on them. That's what what it is. Or we think, this is my problem, we think we know what's going to be said, and so at some point very early in the conversation, we we turn it off, and we're somewhere else, but we're not in the conversation. Or maybe maybe we just tune them out entirely. We just avoid. We don't want to communicate. We We don't like conflict, and so we avoid communication entirely. We're told, but listen, in a relationship, you need to listen. You need to hear. You need to understand. You need to be slow to to engage your mouth. And, and, oh, you need to be slow to become angry. Now, it's not only good for our marriages. Imagine what your home would be like. Parents with children. Children with parents. Just imagine how your home life would be different. If you were quick to hear, slow to speak, measuring your words, and slow to get angry. Listen first. Don't rush in. Keep the lid on it. That works. It's great wisdom. And it, it not only works in your home, it would work in your friendships. It would work in schools. It would work in your place of work. It even works in churches. Listen. Keep your mouth shut. And don't, don't, be, don't have a quick trigger. Don't have a short fuse. Well, here's the thing. When we read these words, this is practical wisdom. Let me tell you, use it, use it, use it, use it. But I think James has something even deeper in mind here. 
I think James may be trying to get us not, not to focus first on the relationships that we have with one another, but more importantly on our relationship with God. And that's what we want to discover today. And so let's begin by taking a look at James chapter 1, verses 19 and, and 20. Let's begin by looking at these verses, and then we'll, we'll move through this. So, so let's look at this. My dearly loved brothers, he begins, understand this. Pay attention to this. This is important. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger, what we do, does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, you look at that and you go, okay, we just talked about that. Why are we, why are we reading that again? Because if we were to back up just a little bit, and again, we're not trying to pull a proof text out of here. We're not trying to pick and choose, trying to use an exacto knife to, to cut out portions of the scripture. If we're going to look at this in context, and we need to see what immediately preceded it. And what immediately preceded it in verse 18, James talks about the word of truth. What is that? That's God's word, God's revelation to us, the word of truth. And what I want us to consider this morning is perhaps James wants us to look beyond just our human relationships and think about how this, verses 19 and 20, actually function in our relationship with God. We just heard the song, Be Still. There's not a lot of that in our lives. Be still. But there should be. Henry Blackaby, some of you know him. Experiencing God, you've been through the study, maybe you've read the book, you've been to a conference. Henry Blackaby is one of my heroes. Okay, he is, he is a powerful man of God, and he's just saturated with God's word and saturated with the Holy Spirit. Just an incredible guy. If I were to introduce Henry Blackaby, I would have a full sheet of accolades. You know, this Henry Blackaby, he's done this, he's written this, he's gone here, he's done that. You could, you could come up with a long list of accolades to introduce a guy like Henry Blackaby. But at one conference, Henry Blackaby was introduced with these words. Listen how he was introduced. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Henry Blackaby, a man who hears from God. Could that be said of us? That we are men, women, teenagers who actually hear from God. God's always speaking. God's always speaking. Sometimes we, we catch a glimpse of his revelation as we watch the sunrise or sunset, as we are feeling the breeze, as we've gone to the beach or looking at the majestic mountains and the little fog that covers them. Maybe, maybe as we see nature, as we see God unfolding his power, Romans 1 tells us that's just unmistakable proof there's a God. Maybe when we see that, there's revelation, we receive that, we, we may begin to worship. God certainly speaks that way, but we know he not only speaks through nature, he speaks through a lot more concrete ways. He speaks through your friends. He speaks to you in prayer through that still small voice he speaks in the relationships that you have he speaks in your church but he also speaks in his word 
It's kind of funny because we want to hear from God. We want to hear from God. God, say something to me. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Guide me here. Guide me there. And God said, hey, listen, you might want to, you might want to open this. Not only have I been speaking, but I've been inspiring men to record this for you so that you would know my will and know my heart. Be quick to hear, to listen to what I am saying to you. That word be quick means to be eager to hear. Confession time. There are times when I'm having my personal morning quiet time. Today was one of them. Last night, some of you know, if you're football fans, you don't care about anything about college basketball. But um, last night, I was, I was watching the, the national semifinals, the Final Four, North Carolina uh, winning their game. No, I didn't wear my Carolina blue striped socks. I actually chose uh, Carolina blue Argyle today. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm watching, watching the game, and we, we won, so went to bed happy. Took a while for my heart rate to slow down, went to bed. Everything was right with the world. Got up, had my quiet time this morning, but constantly kept going in my quiet time. Don't you want to go see those highlights from last night's game? I'm thinking, oh, no, no I'm, I'm in my quiet time now. Here I am. I'm in First John. I need to spend some time focused on what God's saying to me today. Oh, but don't, don't you want to just, man, ESPN's right in the other room. All you got to do is pick that up. To, and I, I was eager to do that. I was, I was anxious to get in there and, and to get the remote in my hand and, and watch the highlights. But as I reflected on this message this morning, what God was saying is, do you have the same eagerness when you wake up in the morning to grab that cup of coffee and sit down and open my word and, and hear from me? Be quick, be eager to hear, to listen. Not only are we going to... Do you have a quiet place in your house? No, not if you have kids. Most of us don't. I mean, now once your kids move out, you have a lot more quiet. So there's a word of hope to you, okay? Once your kids move out, there's, a, there's about a month of sadness and you're like, oh, they're coming back again? No, no, you're, all, you're always eager to get them back. But quiet is, it's a luxury when you have a young family. That's a luxury for you. But it's the necessity for your spirit. It's a necessity that you have, that you have quiet. And, and it doesn't happen automatically. You have to make it happen. I tell you, even in our household where the kids grown and gone for the most part, we have to make it happen. We have to turn off the noise because, to be honest, noise can be, um, it can get in the way of, of being near to God. Busyness, we're always thinking. Some of you, your mind immediately engages on the task list ahead of me for today. That's just, that's your personality, the way God designed you. And so 
You need to understand that busyness, however, can get in the way of your relationship with God from hearing from God because you're so focused on what I have to do that you're less concerned about who God's calling me to be. Be still. And that's what the psalmist said in Psalm 46, the words you hung, heard sung to you this morning, be still and, and know that I am God. Be still. It's not going to happen by accident. You have to make it happen. Create that space. Create that time. Because we're not going to hear if we're constantly talking, if we're, there's constant noise. And listen, God does want to hear from you. He really does. He wants to hear you as you pour out your heart to him. God wants to to hear from you. But you can't go in there and go, okay, let me run through my prayer list real quick and and get out my my laundry list. And, And it's good to pray for people. You want to pray for people. You want to pray for needs. But you need to stop. Say, okay, God, what is it that you have to say to me? So I think we can understand this when it comes to God, right? That we need to be eager to hear what he has to say. And we need to be slow to speak. Let him, let him speak instead of constantly interjecting because sometimes God will change the way we pray if we'll listen to him. But what's this thing about being slow to anger when it comes to, to God speaking to us? That doesn't really make any sense. I mean, we understand that anger is a barrier to communication and and messes up relationships. We understand that. But what's this have to do with God? Well, I think if we read a little further, we might discover that. James chapter 1, we're going to look up verse, uh, we'll start with verse 21. We'll go all the way to verse 27. James chapter 1, verses 21 to 27. And this is what we read here. Therefore, reading yourself of all moral filth and evil... Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who, a man looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. What are we reading here? God's word is a mirror. And when we open God's word and we look into that mirror, it not only gives us a reflection of the person that we are, shows us as we are. That's That's the wonderful and awful thing about a mirror, right? It gives you an accurate picture of what, you're, of what you look like. Some of you, you don't like that. You go to the mirror and you look in it and you don't like what you see, but it doesn't change anything, right? Unless you can brush your hair and you can put on some makeup, but whatever you see in the mirror, that's who you are. But God's word's a little bit different. It not only shows us who we are, it also shows us who we can be in Christ. Oh, we need to hear that this morning. Some of you struggle with that because you open God's word and it it shows you who you are and you want to slam it shut. But that's not the only reason God gave you his word. Yes, um, if you've done the experience in God's study, you understand the the concept of a plumb line being dropped down to measure whether a wall was, was in line 
today, you know, if, if we were using it today, the Bible's being written today, maybe they'd use a, a laser level as the illustration because we understand getting something level, something in line. And when we look at God's word, we see, oh, gosh, I'm so out of line with what God wants for me. And God does want you to know that. But God is giving you this also to show you the person that he can make you to be, the person that he's calling you to be. But when we open it, we instead of being encouraged, we can be discouraged. We want to close it. We want to, we want to run away from it. We want to hide from this. And in fact, we can become resentful that God is exposing something that we've tried to hide for a long, long time. God's word can sometimes be merciless in that. To rip off the mask. It can reveal what's underneath. We take time uh, when we get ready to, to go out, to you know, put on some nice clothes, to, to wash up, to smell good, look good. But when you looked in the mirror the first time this morning, and when you looked in the mirror the last time before you walked out, you saw a few changes, right? When we go to God's word, he shows us just like we are. The makeup comes off. The the mask is, is peeled away. It's like the rain pouring down on a newly whitewashed fence and it just washes it away and exposes what's underneath. And when that happens, we're a little worried that other people are going to see it. But we take the same tactic that Adam and Eve used when they became aware of their sin. We run and hide in the bushes. And then to top it off, when they were finally confronted, they ended up blaming God. This word for anger that's used here, it means to swell. And it, if you can get the impression of something that's under pressure, uh, maybe a, a, a bubbling cauldron, a bubbling pot, or, or maybe a, a smoldering fire, when we think of anger, we, we think of the loud, you know, angry, throwing, slamming, that kind of anger. But the actual anger that's being talked about here is that, that deep internal resentment. When God reveals it to him, we're not bold enough to say, how dare you, God, point that out in my life? What's wrong with you? But we walk away with this resentment that, that God would expose us in his word. That God would show, I mean, we're so busy trying to say, hey, listen, I'm okay and you're okay. That when God looks at us and says, you know what? Underneath you're not okay. There's something wrong here. There's something desperately out of line in your life. And it's robbing you of joy and it's robbing you of peace and it's robbing you of hope and it's messing up your relationships and you hold on to it. 
Instead of seeing this as an opportunity to confess and repent and to turn back to God and to be restored, reconciled to God in your relationship with him and reconciled to others in your relationships with them, you hold on to it and you hide from it and and, and God wipes off the makeup and you apply five times as much. I want to hide this. I don't want it exposed. So after being diagnosed by the great physician with cancer, You pull out a box of Hello Kitty Band-Aids and try to cover it up. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to be confronted by this, God. We begin not only to be angry at ourselves, but angry with God for actually pointing it out to us in the first place. So is that why God gave us his word to make us go away from here feeling guilty? All twisted up in knots? Did God design this to be a chain around us to pull us down? No. We need this. We desperately need this. We need to read it. We need to understand it. We need to think on it. Let it mull, let mull over it. Let, give it some time to, to marinate in our lives. And then, of course, what we're told is, once we understand it, we need to apply this. This needs to become a part of us. Not just something we, well, yeah, I heard about that on Sunday. That's a good idea. And, and, and go on and, and don't make any changes over it. We need to be really, really careful that we don't pick and choose. I like this part, <laughs> but this part over here, I'm cutting this out. I, I don't want to be exposed to this, but I, but I like this part. That's a lot of what we do in modern Christianity. Honestly, I didn't want to preach this message this morning because I realized that for 30 years, I've been telling people, that James 1.19 is about our relationships with one another. And it does have bearing. It does have application in our lives. And I've not told them it has anything to do with their relationship with God. And so I could have preached it as I've preached it before. I could have preached it the way I've taught it before in pre-marriage counseling. I could have just said, you know what? It was good enough for the last 30 years. Why not moving ahead? Well, the main reason is because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have a lot of integrity as a preacher if when God showed me something greater in his word, I didn't share it. And also, if we don't get this right in our relationship with God, how in the world are we going to get it right in our relationship with other people? If we're not willing to listen to God and just hold our tongues. If we're going to get angry every time he shows us something new that doesn't jive with how we're living right now. If we can't do that with the king of the universe, the one that we know loves us unconditionally. He sees us as we are and he loves us anyway. If we can't do that with him. How in the world are we going to be able to do it with other people? 
Be quick to listen, to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Don't just say, okay, I'll take this part of God's word, but not this part of God's word because it makes me uncomfortable. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture, not just some of it, not just the parts we like, but all scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting for training in righteousness. Look at this. Those, the, the first one, we, teaching, okay, that's okay. That's information. I, I get that. I've been in a teaching pupil relationship. I, I get that. But we don't like very much the rebuking and correcting. But without the rebuking and correcting, do we miss out on the training? And that's what this is. We think life is about trying. Life is not about trying. If I could remove a book from the library, it might not be Heather has two mommies. It might be the little engine that could. Because that book is all about trying. And if you try hard enough, you're going to make it. That's not true. I've tried a lot of things that I didn't make. When I played football in high school as a junior, we were the Roanoke Redskins. When I put on that jersey, I wasn't a Roanoke Redskin. I was a Washington Redskin. I already had my plans for the pros. Listen, I was too slow, too short, and too fat. It wasn't happening. And I don't care how much I tried. I'm not designed to play professional football, let alone college football. Life's not about trying. Life's about training. We're all in training. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. We're running a race. We're training. We're getting ourselves ready. And we don't cross the finish line until we get home. Training and righteousness and God's word is part of that. Why? So that the man of God may be equipped, may be complete and equipped for every good work. When we look in God's perfect word and then we look at our imperfect lives don't think the Lord's trying to stifle you. Don't, try to, don't think the Lord's trying to put you on a guilt trip, trying to rob you of your fun. What James says or calls the word here is the perfect law of liberty, freedom. The law that gives freedom. It's perfect because the author is perfect. It's perfect because it gives us God's standard. But how does it give us freedom? It tells us we're free from the curse of sin. Wow. We're free from the curse of sin. It tells us that we, are, we can live free of anxiety. Back in the Old Testament, remember... If you, if you did something wrong, you're trucking down to the temple trying to make sure you get the right sacrifice to give to the priest to offer so that you can have that taken off your account so you can go back and resume your normal life. But if you're living thinking, did I, did I, get, did I cover them all? Was that, was that the right sacrifice? Did, did I forget something? 
That's taken care of. That's what we celebrated on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus said, it's finished. I've done it. I've taken care of it. You no longer have to live with that anxiety. Now, how are you going to know that if you don't open God's word and let him speak to you about the freedom you have in Christ from anxiety and fear and hopelessness? It tells us that we're free to live without fear. We're free to live in confidence. That if we stumble, God's not going to walk up and kick us in the ribs. If we stumble, God's going to to lean down. And he's going to pick us up. And he's going to help us get started again. It tells us that we're free from just having to settle for behaving And hoping that's enough. But we are free to become the person that God has created us to be. And so is that what you want? That's what it comes down to. Is that that what you want? Do you want spiritual transformation? Do you want a new life? Do you want to become more like Jesus every single day in your attitude and in your actions? Let me tell you, it will not happen by taking a casual glance into this book from time to time. Not going to happen. Matter of fact, it's it's interesting. Some of the, the words that are used, it says to look intently. We actually encountered that word last week in Luke's gospel. If you'll remember... Peter and John, once they heard that the tomb was empty, they ran to the tomb. And then, you know, John got there first, but he was a little bit afraid to go in. So Peter got there first. And it says he looked intently. It means he stooped over and looked very intently at what is on the inside. That's the same word that's used here. To look intently into God's word. To lean over and and lean in and, and gaze intently at what it is so that we can really understand what's being said here. The great philosopher Yogi Berra, those of you who are laughing, you're, you know him. Those of you who aren't laughing, going, oh, okay, he must be some you know, Hindu guy. No. He was a baseball player that said a lot of weird things. But this, he said, made a lot of sense. You can see a lot by looking. When it comes to God's word, that's true. You can see a lot by looking, by leaning forward and intensely gazing at what it has to say there. And he uses, he says, looks intently and perseveres or remains. Not quick to get up and go, hey, let me go catch the sports center highlights. Let me, let me get in here and go do this. Let me get on with my to-do list for the day. But who spends time letting God's word have its way with us. Now, you've probably heard a lot of sermons that told you what to do. I don't want them to be, I don't want this to be one of those. I don't want this sermon merely to be about this is what you need to do now. Rather, I want this message to be about what God can do in you, not what you can do in and of yourselves. Because let's be honest, you've tried it yourself. It didn't work too well. You need the power of God 
to be able to do this. You need the heart of God to do this. The message is not meant to fill you with guilt, but hope. Paul wrote, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. How do you get your mind changed? Spend some time with God. Spend some time in his word. Let him change your mind and show you his heart and his will. There is transformation for you. There's a new life for you and a better life for you. There is hope that today and tomorrow and the day after that, you can become more like Jesus in attitude and action. Satan's going to try to tell you when you look at this, go in a dark closet and hide from God because look how bad you are. But God's word's not only there to show you your failures. It's there to give you a glimpse of how life can be in him. And so let me share with you. I, I mean, some of you are going, okay, I need something to write down here. I've got some blanks. I need to fill these out. So let me share with you some just simple wisdom that can help you. The first is this. Make time to be still to hear from God. Make the time not going to happen by accident, to be still and to hear from God. For some of you, it's early in the morning. For some of you, it's late at night. For some of you, it can maybe be in the middle of the day. But make the time to be still and to hear from God. I have to sometimes head out to the cemetery. Nobody bothers you out there. I can get so still, sometimes I fall asleep. I keep, I'll keep worrying that, you know, uh, I'm going to have a knock on my window and it's going to be Billy McCommons going, hey, you got to move. We got a funeral. Be still. Find it. Make it to know he's God. Make time to linger in God's word. Don't, don't rush through it. I'm gonna, can I tell you, here's what I do, and this is to slow me down. I needed to slow down. Because like many of you, I'm thinking, what's next? What's next? What's next? I had to slow down. Here's how I found to slow down. It may not work for you. works for me. I've got a journal, and I've got my Bible. I'm sitting there, and I'm reading. I'll read the passage, and then I'll write the passage. And I'll go back and read the passage again. I read it. I write it. I read it. Why? Because I, I need a speed bump. I need something to slow me down, and writing it slows me down. I'll see things when I write it that I didn't get when I read it. Find a way to linger some in God's word. That doesn't mean you have to go read, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down this afternoon and I'm going to read all the Psalms. No. Linger in it. Marinate in it. Let it get into you. And then finally, be honest with yourself about who you are. Don't, don't try to hide that. But let God be honest with you about who he wants you to become you need both 
You need to see in your life those areas that, where you don't measure up. The, you're out of level. You need to see those areas. But you also need to see that this is the person I can be in Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this can be me. When you read about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you look at that and you go, that ain't me. I wasn't very loving today. I wasn't very kind today. I wasn't very patient today. I should feel guilty about this. I should go crawl up into a corner somewhere. God's sitting there, come, hey, come on out of the corner. Let's sit down. Let's, let's work on this together. You're not in this alone. You've heard my word. It's challenged you. Good. Let's start training. Let's go into training today. You say, God, I'm not patient. And I bring into your life every opportunity to be patient. But you're trying to do it on your own. You're not clinging to me. You're not holding on to me. I'm the source of your power. I'm the source of your victory. Hold to me. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do this morning, this is an opportunity for you to get a new start. God's mercies are new every morning. And he's faithful. And this can be your day. If you need to receive Christ Jesus, you've been trying to do this life on your own and you need Jesus. Today's your day. If you've been trying to be a free-range Christian and do this all on your own, if God's calling you to say, hey, listen, I need to belong to a small group. I need to belong to a local church. Today's your day. And if God simply called you to come and repent and begin again, today's your day. Whatever it is he's called you to, this is your time to respond. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word. And even though it challenges us and sometimes we feel we don't measure up, we recognize that you gave it to us for a reason. And that reason wasn't to make us feel guilty. That reason was to call us to repent, to begin again, and to hold tightly to you as you make in us and through us a person who looks more like your son Jesus every day. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with decisions this morning, who need Jesus, who need a church home, who need a new beginning. God, let this be their time time of decision, a new start in their lives. Today is a day of salvation, a day of renewal, a day of hope. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this final song, if you need to share some decision, make some decision today, this is your opportunity. Would you stand with us as we sing?